Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, please get them open to Mark chapter 10. If you do not have a Bible in front of you, you're going to be on page 897, uh, and you'll be there with us in Mark 10. I want to apologize in advance uh, for my voice. Uh, if I cough, uh, if I make any kind of ungodly noise in the microphone this morning, right? I was uh, on the injury report. I was listed as questionable on Friday. I've been upgraded from to service to service today, all right? And so I'm playing injured, but we're excited to get through it. And uh, I, tried, I tried singing. It didn't go well. All right, um, so we're going to try speaking now, and hopefully my voice hangs in there. And so um, I, I just, if I sound weird, get over it. This is my voice this morning, right? I'm sorry, right? Uh, but if you got uh, Mark chapter 10, we'll be in verses uh, 13 to 16 when it's time to turn there. I want to thank each and every one of you uh, who's here this morning. We're so grateful uh, that you've taken the time out to be here this morning. If you're a guest, we're incredibly grateful. Uh, we know how hard it is to try something new, and so... If you would, stop by our welcome desk on your way out. We, we have a gift for you for coming, and, and, uh, and uh, we want to show our appreciation. I also want to thank uh, the praise team for leading us in that this morning, and, and um, Doug Miller, one of our elders, for that time of communion. It's, it, you're going to see, by the time you leave here today, it's a very full Sunday. There's a lot going on. There's a lot God is doing. There's a lot we're excited about. And one of those things I want to mention to you, um, since you are the early birds and come to the 930 service, please stick around. Right? Just hang out for just a few minutes after uh, because we get a chance as a church today to, to celebrate and witness baptism. And so uh, that will be done in between services so that everybody can be a part of it. And so uh, we want you uh, to follow along with that. And so uh, when we're done uh, with this service, don't, don't take off um, because that's worth celebrating. Um, but like I said, I want to welcome you this week. By the way, uh, fellas, if you didn't know, it's Valentine's on Wednesday, all right? So I know some of you already looked out for you, right? You weren't aware of that. But it's crazy to me uh, that it's already mid-February, right? Which is even more crazy to me that it's already mid-February of 2024. Like, I remember Y2K, Okay, I remember 9-11. Like, these things are more than 20 years ago now. And that got me thinking just about how quickly time goes, right? How quickly time travels. And, 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 and this thought right, came across to me was in 100 years from now, right? 21-24, every one of us will be buried and gone. Strangers will be living in the homes that we're working so hard on right now. Most of the stuff we own in 100 years is going to be thrown away and discarded. Right? The cars that we're paying so much for now are all going to be scrapped. Most of our descendants won't even remember us. You're like, well, that's harsh. Well, let me ask you, how many of you even know the name of your great-grandpa? Right? As far as an earthly perspective, we will fade away. As Mark Twain put it, we will pass from a world that will remember us for a minute and then forget us forever. But hey, it's Super Bowl Sunday, so have a great day, right? <laughs> Now, once you think, actually think about that for a second this morning, and then think about everything that got you worked up, that got you really worried, that got you stressed out, that ruined your mood this week, and then think about the things that fill up your thoughts and your pursuits and your passions and your energy and time and more. And the question I want you to ask is, is any of it worth it? Will any of it stand the test of time? As we've been studying the book of Mark as a church, we've made it clear dozens of times already, right, that almost all in Jesus' day, almost everyone in that day expected the Messiah to be an earthly king. And so the expectations that they put on Jesus, the moment they identified him, this is the long way to Messiah, is that he needed to make Israel a dominant nation, and they were going to live their lives in prosperity ever since. And we've told you repeatedly, that was not his purpose in coming. Jesus has told people repeatedly, this is not my purpose in coming. But they had one thing right. 
He was a king. He did come to establish a kingdom, just not the one they were thinking of. In fact, do you remember the very first words that we read from Jesus in, in the book of Mark? The very first thing he says in the Mark is in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, in which Jesus says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus Christ is indeed a king, but he's not an earthly king. He's the king of kings. He came to establish a kingdom, but not one limited by time or borders. Throughout history, kingdoms have risen and they have fallen. Boundary lines have moved, right? But the kingdom that Jesus established carried not only from when he started it to from his day, it's touched every inhabited corner of our day and will carry throughout all eternity. The kingdom of God is anywhere that God's rule, God's way of life, God's authority, God's kingship is worshipped, adhered to, and surrendered and submitted to. It is the most relevant kingdom there is as it impacts every single aspect of our lives and who we are down to our hearts, thoughts, movements, and intentions. And to be a part of God's kingdom brings limitless benefits, joys, graces, and gifts. To be in this kingdom means that we get to continue on in it for all eternity. But so many people miss out on it. And they miss out on it because the kingdom of God stands opposed to the kingdoms and ideologies and value systems of our world. The way, in fact, that we enter the kingdom itself, the way that we find joy, what we give our lives in service to runs counter to everything else that we hear and believe in our day. To the point that to even be a part of it, Jesus is going to teach us this morning that a childlike dependence and trust is necessary. And so I'm going to invite Brooke Hogan up. She's going to be reading our passage this morning. Mark chapter 10, uh, verses 13 through 16. All right, Mike's coming up. He's not, he's not as pretty as Brooke, but he can read. Um, and if you could please stand uh, with him to honor the reading of God's scriptures this morning. Good morning, church. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little children will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. Thank you, Mike. You guys have a seat. Let's pray. Father, we're so incredibly grateful for your word, and we're so incredibly grateful for Jesus and the wisdom which he taught with, this, this timeless, eternal wisdom. And so as we look at your kingdom this morning, as we look at your word, as we look at this requirement that Jesus lays before us of, of childlikeness, God, would you be the one who speaks this morning? Would you be the one who moves and teaches and enlightens and convicts and draws? And, get, and would you be the one who gets the glory alone? And we ask this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. All right, so let's break down the scene that we find here in Mark chapter 10. Jesus is still in Judea, which is just outside of Jerusalem, and he's teaching and ministering the same way that we found him last week in our passage. And, and while this is happening, uh, we read in verse 13 that, that people are bringing children to him. Now, that word that we translate into children, the, the Greek word there has a range, an age range from infants to preteens, right? So anywhere from like zero to 12, right? So this is the age group that's coming. And Mark writes that they're bringing these children to Jesus in order that he might touch them, which was just, it was just a custom in that day that rabbis and religious leaders would lay their hands on people and say a prayer of blessing over them, right? 
And this is the idea. These, these parents are bringing their children to Jesus in the eye, with the hopes that he's going to bless them. These were not sick kids. These were not disabled kids. They weren't coming for healing, right? They were just parents bringing their children to Jesus, hoping that he would bless them. And it's at this point, we see something that we've seen repeatedly already in the book of Mark, and we're going to continue to see it, is that Jesus' disciples get this very, very wrong, right? Now, back in Mark 9, we told you about the weird view that the Jewish culture in Jesus' day had about children, right? It's, it's, it's a bit of a dichotomy, right? Because on the one hand, right, it was seen as the highest honor to have children, it was incredibly important to them as, as they attract family lineage and heritage, right? To, it was incredibly important to carry on the family name. And so having offspring was seen as an honor and a gift from the Lord himself. On the other hand, that once those children existed, they had very little use for them. Right? Because Jewish culture was built around the premise of seeking honor and promotion for yourself. They very much kept score all the time. And the more that you could elevate yourself, the more that you could promote yourself, the more that you could build your name and reputation and honor in other people's eyes, the better. And you know what children don't do? They don't promote you. Children drain, let's be honest, right? They are consumers. They're not producers. They take time. They take energy. They take money. They take attention. They take food. They take, they take, they take. And so in a culture where I need kids not to have any shame at all, but I also need to promote myself in any way that I can, right? Children are a gift, but they're also completely useless until they're adults. So that was kind of the viewpoint. That was how they saw them in first century Israel. And we talked before about how Jesus elevated the view of women. He did the same for children. Jesus radically elevated the view of children in people's eyes. But you can quickly figure out what happened with disciples here, can't you? It doesn't take rocket science. Jesus is important, and he's a super busy guy, and all kinds of people want his attention. And by being close to him, being in his inner circle, the disciples are also important, of course, right? And so as very important people, they need to keep unimportant things away from Jesus. And in children, especially ones that don't need healing, why, they are the least important of all. And not only did they misread that, but, but look at how they went about it. Look again at verse 13. It says, people were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them. And this is the language Mark uses. But the disciples rebuked them. Now, rebuke is a word that's used a lot in the Bible and not very much in our day. So I want to make sure you understand what it means. We can typically grasp its meaning from its context. But just so we're clear, rebuke is a strong, strong expression of disapproval. It often implies a very stern and sharp criticism of someone's actions. What that means is the disciples aren't coming up to these parents and going, I'm sorry, but Jesus is very busy today. Thank you for your understanding. That's not what's happening here. It's closer to like, get these kids out of here. We don't have time for this. They were actually sternly correcting people for bringing their children to Jesus. Now, how does Jesus react to this? Well, he gets very angry. And I want, to be, I want to be clear here. Jesus is not protective of all, at all, of his disciples' feelings in his response to this. Look at verse 14. It says, when Jesus saw it, he, be, he was indignant and said to them, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Now, I don't want to spend all morning defining words, but I do want us to know what happened in this story. 
Mark tells us that Jesus was indignant. The Greek word there is agonikteo, and it's an intense feeling of anger towards something that you perceive as unfair. And so what happened is Jesus saw this situation, and he felt intense anger over something that he saw as wrong or unfair. And this is another indication for us that in and of itself, anger is not sinful, Right? Now, certainly anger and sin are close partners, right? Anger that is ruminated on, anger that's acted upon rashly, anger that's dwelled on to, to result in bitterness and so on. That is how anger turns sinful. But there is a righteous indignation, and we see it occasionally from Jesus in the Gospels, don't we? And if you look at the times that Jesus actually becomes angry or becomes indignant, right, they all have the same root, And his anger is reserved for people who misrepresent the heart of God to others. This is why he was always in conflict with the religious leaders of his day, because they had been specifically charged and tasked by God to represent him and his heart and his character to his people. And with their hypocrisy and arrogance and legalism, they put on display a God who is harsh, unapproachable, elitist, and unloving. And this infuriated Jesus because that's not who God is. And what's happening here in Mark 10 is the disciples are doing the same thing. By not only, they're not just getting in the way of children coming, they're rebuking their parents. They're feeding that narrative that Jesus is too big a deal for you. That Jesus is unapproachable. That you don't matter to him. You're not important enough, right? You don't, you don't meet the, 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 you don't pass the lowest bar in order to get his time. Move on, move on Why us important people continue this important work. And this is such a gross mischaracterization of the heart of Jesus that he's furious. And first he corrects them. He says, let the, let, no, you let the children come. Don't stop them. Basically, quit what you're doing, right? And then he throws in a line that's meant to cut to the very core of their worldview. He says, because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Now, why do you think the disciples were actually pushing these people away? Why do you think they felt they had the right and authority to do so? Well, let's, let's take a quick trip around Mark, right? It's all one continuous story. Mark chapter 9, if you have your Bibles open, look, look back at one chapter, chapter 9. I'm going to start reading verse 33. 33 says, they came, that's Jesus' disciples. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, disciples, what were you arguing about on the way? Verse 34, but they were silent because on the way, they had been arguing with one another about who was the greatest. There's a little detail about those guys. Jump down to verse 38 of Mark chapter 9. John says to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. He wasn't in our circle, right? So we told him to stop. Now let's also do a a little bit of a spoiler alert, right? Uh, At the end of chapter 10, the chapter we're in right now, you want to know what's going to happen? James and John are going to come to Jesus, and they're going to ask him, Lord, when you enter into your kingdom, can we sit on your right hand and on your left hand? What that means is, will you give us the two positions of power, the top positions of power and influence and authority in your kingdom? What is the pattern that we're seeing here? They're arguing about who's the greatest. They're fighting for positions of power. They're stopping anyone that they see outside of the inner circle. They're stopping kids now. The disciples are fully convinced that they're kind of a big deal. People know them. They have many leather-bound books, right? 
And so Jesus, what does Jesus do? He brings them down a peg. He says, my kingdom, the kingdom of God, belongs to such as these. These children that you're trying to push off, it belongs to children, not to y'all. Right? And I think part of his frustration is that he's already covered this with them. Look, if you're still in Mark 9, look at verse 36. This wasn't that long ago. He took a child and had him stand among them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one little child such as this in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me but him who sent me. How quickly they forgot. How quick they were to feel so important, right, that they forgot everything he told them in that moment. And instead of welcoming children, they're actually pushing them away. And then Jesus has a warning, not just for the disciples, but for everybody in his audience and all of us as well. Look at verse 15. He says, truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter into it. What Jesus is doing there is he's elevating humility. In a culture of self-promotion, Jesus wants them to know my kingdom is different. And the contrast is striking. Not only will self-promotion not be rewarded in the kingdom of God, but it will actually, it, it will actually keep you from experiencing the kingdom at all. Right? James picks up on this. James chapter 4 says that God actually resists. He opposes the proud. You talk about pushing people away. That's what God does to the prideful. But he gives grace to the humble. Let's, let's just think for a minute about how these children are coming to and approaching Jesus. They had no intentions of impressing Jesus. They're likely in awe of him. They had no notion to come up and give him their spiritual resume. They had, they had no idea, that, no notion that they were going to tell him that, by the way, Jesus, I've earned your attention. I've earned your blessing today. They didn't see themselves as important. They weren't doing it to be seen by others. They brought nothing They brought nothing to Jesus. They had no money, no gifts, no anything. They were simply receivers of his time and his attention and his mercy and his blessing. There's a reason that Jesus chose the verb he did. Look again at verse 16. He says, whoever does not receive, not achieve, but receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter into it. Did you know that this is the closest Jesus will ever come to giving us a bare minimum entrance requirement? People ask the question, and I I can't tell you how much I hate the question, but they ask the question, what is the bare minimum I have to do to get into heaven? And for Jesus, he was never interested in that question, right? Because some transactional relationship where you believe just enough or say uh, magic words in a prayer and you're in, and then you can go live your life building your own kingdom and doing your own thing and not serving the kingdom of God, all the while assuming that you're going to love living in the kingdom of God in its fullness in heaven when you had no interest in it here. Well, that just didn't work for Jesus. That concept was a non-starter. He was inviting us into his kingdom right here and right now. He was making the with God life possible. Because for Jesus, eternal life begins when we surrender to him as our king. And yes, yes, the scriptures are clear. His kingdom will come in full and our eternity will be glorious. But the kingdom is active here right now and we can join in. But it's not And we need to be clear on this. It is not a kingdom we can earn our way into. 
There's not some boot camp that we graduate from. There's not a resume we provide. There's not an application process that we enter into. There are no minimum entry requirements because we've all failed. We can't do it. We can't get into the kingdom by our own efforts, which is why Jesus says here that any who do not receive it, right, receive it as a gift of grace like a child will never, ever enter it. There's nothing bigger. There's nothing more important. There's nothing more impactful. There's nothing more lasting or more eternal than the kingdom of God. And so if we know this, that we can never be a part of it unless we receive it as a child, then we better be clear in what that means. And so the first thing that I would encourage you to do is this, to simply come empty. This is how all these children were coming to Jesus. Nothing to bring, nothing to offer, nothing to show off. Coming to Jesus simply desiring his presence and receiving his grace and blessing. Isaiah 55, the Lord is speaking. He says this. He says, come, everyone who's thirsty, come to the water. And you without silver, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without silver and without cost. There's an analogy he builds on throughout Isaiah 55. And the analogy that God is using there is that his kingdom is like a marketplace. And all who thirst, he has water and milk and wine to quench our thirst in abundance. He goes on to say, all who hunger, he has bread and food to fill us in abundance. There's just one requirement. We can't pay for it. We can't buy it. Because as long as we try to pay for it, instead of just receiving it, we won't get anything from it. Now, my dad has been an athlete his entire life. He played multiple sports in high school. He played baseball and soccer in college. He would have played football if his college had it. He's coached football his entire adult life. He's always been an athlete. Right? Even in retirement, he still somehow found himself on, on the sidelines on Friday nights helping out former players who are now coaches. Right? He's just been around sports his entire life, and none of this, none of this has helped him in any way with his golf game. Since retiring, he and a couple other retired Cloverdale teachers walk nine holes every single weekday that the weather allows. They actually did it all five days this week. And I've always told everybody, like anybody who's asked me, if you want to get better at golf, there's one secret, and it's play more golf. And just by repetition, you'll get better. My dad has tested that theory to its very limit, right? Now, in recent years, his, his scores have started to come down just a bit, but it's because he's getting older and moving up tees, right? I don't think he's actually getting better, right? But there's one thing I'm sure of. There's another I'm getting convinced of. The one thing I'm sure of is that he'll never be a great golfer. I think that ship has sailed, right? The thing I'm getting convinced of, I don't even think he really likes the game. He just likes competition, and this is all he has left, Right? And I was testing this theory out with him uh, last summer, maybe the summer prior, and I said, I said, Dad, why don't you just tell me what you hate the most about golf, right? And he said, in every other sport, when things start going bad, I can channel whatever frustration I'm feeling into positive means. Like, I can try harder, I can dig deeper, I can compete more, and it gets better. In golf, that only makes everything get worse. That the harder I try, the worse I get. And those of you who play golf out there know that's 100% true. 
The more we dig down, the more we convince ourselves it's up to us, the more that we try to clean up our lives, the more that we try to make our good outweigh our bad, the more we attempt to convince ourselves or others that God is getting a good deal in us, the more that we think that our church attendance and our prayers and our acts and our belonging to certain groups, our parties, etc., in any way get us closer to the kingdom of God, the further and further and further we get away from him and his grace. Because all of us have sinned and fall short of his standard. We are all guilty. And in our sin, we're actually hostile towards God. We deserve nothing but punishment, judgment, death, and hell from him. That's what we've earned. And in the face of that, he came. And he sent Jesus to take on our form, to teach us about this upside-down kingdom, to invite us into it. And he did so by going to a cross where he suffered immensely and excruciatingly, not for anything that he had done wrong, but because of our sin. He died to pay our price, and three days later, he defeated death by walking out of his grave to offer us life in his kingdom forever. He did all of that, and we think we have to add to it? Or he did all of that and we think that somehow we can match that and find our own way in. in. It's the most arrogant of all of our sins. And so come to God as a child with nothing, offering nothing, fully expecting to receive from the one who opened up everything for us, the one who suffered to give us access to his kingdom, the king who made eternal life possible. Come empty and then respond joyfully. I love watching kids open presents because everything they open, they know full well they couldn't have bought it for themselves. And so they receive it all joyfully. The shrieks, the jumping up and down, the full body excitement, it's a wonder to behold. We as adults should never, ever, ever get over grace. We should never, ever be accustomed to being a child of God. Just as we entered the kingdom as a child, we need to stay that way. We got in by grace, we live by grace, and we will burn through grace for all eternity. No matter what happens to us, no matter what is around the bin, our future in the kingdom of God is glorious, and that gift should never lose its luster for us. And by the way, this doesn't fit great, but I, I need to address this, right? We, we had an elders retreat last weekend, and uh, in, in the course of that conversation, uh, not only had the staff, but also multiple elders had heard from people that, that there were people who had attended here and wanted to express themselves more in worship. They wanted to clap at the end of a song or raise a hand, and they felt, this is what they felt, that that wouldn't be allowed here, that it wouldn't be accepted here. Listen to me. There's no secret Baptist police that's going to come and escort you out of the room, all right? That's not how, it's, it's a lot, listen to me, it's permitted, okay? It's encouraged. The goal here is freedom. We want you to express your worship, true, heartfelt, genuine worship to the Lord in spirit and truth, however he leads you. No one's coming for you, all right? So remain joyful. And then remember, everything is better with Jesus. Look at verse 16. It says, after taking them in his arms, he laid his hands on them and blessed him, blessed them. That's why. That's why the parents brought them. Because they knew that any time spent with him, any time that we're under his influence, anything done with him is better than it would be without him. 
Every one of these children were better off from their time with Jesus. And I want you to know, we, we spent a lot of time in January talking about Valley Church and our vision and all that, but this, above everything else, this is our heart. We want to point you to, we want to encourage you to, and we want to plead you to Jesus. We and I have nothing to offer you today except Jesus Christ. And if I was capable of offering you the entire world, I would still offer you nothing but Jesus. Because the greatest prize in the kingdom of God is the king himself. And whenever someone approaches Jesus like a child in trust, in submission, in faith, in dependency, in humility, they are better for it every single time. Not because their situation improved necessarily, but because they were with him. And so if something has you afraid today, here's my encouragement. Be afraid with Jesus. Take it to him. If you're suffering this morning, suffer with Jesus. He will come alongside you in redeemment. If you're joyful this morning, be joyful with Jesus. Let your praise roll up to him. Don't keep it in your circumstance. If you're blessed today, make sure you're grateful to Jesus who's given you all of that. If you're confused, take your questions to Jesus in his word. If you're hurting, find your comfort in Jesus. If you're grieving, run to his presence. Don't run away from him, run to him. The more, see what happens is the more we become adults, the more we start relying on ourselves. Right, we think it's my education and my willpower and my work ethic and my ingenuity and my talent and my time-managed skills and my perseverance. I will get me through. How foolish. How foolish indeed. Come like a child. Come to Jesus. Because you're going to go through this season with him or without him. Why not do it with him? And if you're here today and thus far you've lived your entire life outside of the kingdom of God... You've never surrendered your, to Jesus as your Lord and King. You've never experienced his grace and forgiveness and the gift of eternal life. And man, are you missing out. But you don't have to anymore. You can come to Jesus today and ask him to save you and forgive you and make you his child and enter into life in the kingdom of God. Come empty, respond joyfully, and everything's better with our King. Now before... I close. I have some challenges for you. We talked about this, right? With our focus on formation, our goal was to give you practices to live out your truths because who doesn't love homework, right? And so here's a couple challenges for you this week. The first one is this. Pursue wonder. Kids are so much more prone to be amazed and startled and in awe than adults. Now, some of you, especially you creatives out there, are better at this. Right, but Psalm 19 tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands, and so slow down. Every now and then in Indiana in the winter, there's this glowing orange thing in the sky. Not very often, but it comes out occasionally. On those days, take note of the sunrise and sunset. Look at the stars. You understand the stars are there as a gift from God? One of the worst byproducts of smartphones is how dumb they're making us and how we're always looking down. Look up. Take note. See the beauty of your children. See the beauty of your spouse. Pursue beauty in your life and pursue wonder. Be conscious of it. Take note of it and then thank God for it. Second challenge is this. Express appreciation. 
Every evening when I pull in the driveway, Remy and Rhea are outside, they're dancing in the driveway, and then they run up and give me a hug when I get out of the truck. The older ones used to do that. They don't anymore. Kids give great hugs, don't they? They're never shy about expressing love. We get all repressed as adults. It's the most awkward thing in my life is when I'm telling somebody how much they mean to me. What the heck is my problem, right? So flex this muscle, try it. Express first your love and appreciation for God. Jot, jot down five things each day this week that you're incredibly thankful for God for, and then just tell him how thankful you are. And then take inventory of people in your life that you love and appreciate, and try this crazy idea. Tell them. Express that to them. The idea is this. We won't grow in childlikeness just being adults all the time. And so flex those muscles, put them to work, remind yourself that you bring nothing to God and ensure that you are in the flow of the kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful. We're so thankful for uh, the way Jesus elevated humility. Uh, the way Jesus did all the work and opened up heaven and, and everything to us, God. That, Lord, you, you created your kingdom. You established it. You made it possible. And the only thing you ask is that we enter it like ch- children. And so, God, any way in me or any way in anybody in this room in which we're feeling important, in which we're, we're kind of flexing our adulthood and we're feeling self-sufficient and we're feeling like we're kind of a big deal, would you, would you just rip those out of our souls this morning? And would you help us to come to you like children with childlike faith and childlike dependency and childlike joy and childlike expression of love and appreciation and experience the wonder of what it is to live in your kingdom starting right now? Lord, for any who walked into this place having never given their life to Jesus, maybe even trusting in their own ability to, to earn their way to you, would they let go of all that today? And would they surrender their life to Jesus and come to him in faith? We ask this in his powerful name. Amen.